We jump back into the book of Romans for kind of a one-off as um, we'll finish Romans 11 today and then won't pick back up in Romans beginning in chapter 12 to 2024. So, uh, but it's important because this is such a phenomenal passage, short passage, but really deep and really good. So let's read Romans chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 33. We will read through verse 36, the end of the chapter. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we can continuously come to you and see and learn and uh, begin to understand about you and therefore about us and how we are so loved by you. Open our eyes now that we'll see, open our ears, that we will hear, and um, Lord, change us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. One of the several fascinating things about pastoring is that you get to see people at at their best in those events that mark their lives that bring such great joy, getting married or having children, or professing Christ and, and then being baptized and even getting the opportunity to baptize them. Or when a surgery is successful and produces good results and you hear that, new, hear that news. However, you also see people, and often the same people that we're just referring to, at their most difficult moments in life. Maybe when death parts two loving spouses or bearing a child or when the surgery is unsuccessful or when a child strays from home and seems to even leave the faith. Although our experiences even in the same life differ, there is one who is a constant companion through good, through difficulty. There is one who never runs away and never avoids a question. And that one is God. So here we are. um, The Apostle Paul having expressed the universal desperate situation of every human being. uh, Most notably in in the opening two and a half chapters of, of Romans. We see ourselves in our own unrighteousness. And that there is no, there's no way or no want or no possibility of measuring up to the perfect righteousness of God. Chapters 1 through 3, 3 and a half. But then you see that God in Christ has come to us and has provided the way. And that way is not through our own efforts, but it's through faith in Christ alone. And 
we learn that most notably in chapters 4 and 5. Then in chapters 6 and 7, we see the living out of that faith, that it's not always easy and it's difficulty. And sometimes there's failures and sometimes there's this need to just cry out, God, deliver me. Deliver me from this, uh, this physical body that has wants and sometimes those wants go off the rails. And then in chapter 8, we see the inseparability of God's love for his people. And finally, in our study in chapters 9 through 11, Paul addresses the question of Israel. What has happened to the Jews, the, the very people that God chose to work through? And how does his plan of forming a single people, how has it been or has it been, if possible, thwarted? Well, it should come as no surprise that in going through such a, such a, a, a significant array of the work and the wonders of God that the apostle closes out this part of Romans, this, the first, well, our first 11 chapters, there were, he didn't write in chapters or verses, but obviously the, this section he brings to an end with a doxology or a, a, a hymn of praise. And it is a hymn of praise to the one who is the center of everything that he writes about and he is the center of everything that he lives for. We have called this section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, not adrift. That even though kind of from the big scheme of things, it looks like maybe God's plan has gone awry, even adrift, it's the farthest thing from the truth. God knows exactly in his sovereign, majestic um, working out of his plan. His plan has not moved or digressed one iota. Today, as we close out this section of Not Adrift, we're calling the message the focus of our lives. The focus of our lives. So I, wanna, I just want to mention three things to you. And as I do, uh, I want to close out with four applications that I'd like us to, to appropriate in our lives. Um, so here, here, as we praise God and we look at the one who is to be the center, the focus, the first thing I just want to bring to your attention that Paul writes about is that God's ways are beyond comparison. God's ways are beyond comparison. Notice in verse 33, he talks about the depth of three things. The depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Um, it, is a, it, is, it is as if Paul is stepping back and he is looking at all that God has done. And he says, oh, the depth. Oh, the riches 
Oh, the wisdom and the knowledge of this God who is at the center of all, not only of all that he does, of all that plays out in the world. And sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes we don't recognize the fact that at the center of everything, whether it be something that's taking place in our backyard or whether it's something that's taking place on the other side of the world, it is God that is at the center of that. That nothing is outside the, the sovereign playing out, working out of God's plan under the umbrella of God's power. It's what the late R.C. Sproul uh, referred to in that there is not one maverick molecule in all the universe. Because if there was one molecule that could do its own thing outside the context of God's control, then that one molecule would have the ability to blow up everything to bring an end to God's kingdom and to the plan that God has in place, not only for his creation, but the plan that he has for your life and for my life. And notice as, as Paul comprehends the depth of the riches, wisdom, and knowledge of God, he says how, he, he asked this, he, he asked two rhetorical questions, how unsearchable are his judgments? And how inscrutable his ways. In other words, how are you going to uh, how are you going to understand and to comprehend the decisions that God makes? They are unsearchable. There's nowhere to begin, and certainly there's no way to end. I look at this and I think of what the little phrase it has become. If I was to say this 30 years ago, nobody would know what I was talking about. Isn't that crazy? But I can, I can say to you that if you, want to, if you want to know something, maybe a fun fact or who won a ball game or um, when somebody died, what, what do you do? You Google it. Right? How many times have you said, I'm, I'm going to Google it? What does that mean? Well, it means you're searching for an answer. You're searching for some tidbit of information. If you're using your iPhone, well, you're going to ask Siri, right? Um, we search and we have information right there at the tip of our fingers. But Paul says... That the, that the judgments, the wisdom of God are unsearchable. You can Google all you want. Google doesn't have the final say. You can ask Siri, either female Siri, my personal choice, or male Siri, but there are limits. There are no limits with God. His ways are beyond comparison. And then, then when, when Paul mentions that his ways are inscrutable, I love this word inscrutable. I looked it up because I didn't want to get it wrong. Webster says that it, to be inscrutable is to be not readily investigated. Not readily interpreted. And not readily understood. How 
inscrutable are the ways of God. They are beyond comparison. Okay? So as we pull back and we look at God, we see that we are finite beings. He is an infinite being. Now, here's the second thing I want to draw to your attention, and that is that God is good and trustworthy even when I don't understand what he does. He is good and trustworthy even when I don't understand what he does. Verse 34 and 35, Paul actually references two Old Testament passages of Scripture. In verse 34, he references Isaiah 40, and in verse 35, he references Job 41. He asked for who, in verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And then verse 35, or who has given a gift to him? that he might be repaid. Now, I know a lot of people that would like to be the, God's counselor. And I know a lot of people that think they know the mind of the Lord or will tell you they know the mind of the Lord. But Paul, out of Isaiah, says in this another rhetorical question, I got news for you. The answer is nobody knows the mind of the Lord. Nobody can counsel God, for God needs no counseling. Why? Because his judgments are unsearchable and his ways are inscrutable. I want to read to you, this is out of Ray Ortland's commentary on um, Isaiah 40. And then, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's turn to Isaiah 40. And I want to just focus on th three verses uh, that are at the center of, of what of Paul's quoting and, and, and where Paul is coming from back in Romans 11. Um, the prophet Isaiah is, 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 is speaking of God, and this is what he says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with the span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? There we go. Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Well, clearly the answer to those questions is nobody, is nobody. But I want you, I want you to just to, to, to ponder something for a minute. In verse 12, when Isaiah asks, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think about the, the ramifications of that. Uh, I was reading the testimony of a Marine who was being transported during World War II. Uh, they were in, during the war in the Pacific. And um, he was on a battleship. He and, and his troops were on a battleship. And they were ultimately going to Japan to begin the invasion of Japan that never took place after we dropped the atomic bomb. But on their way, the ship stopped at the Great Marianas Trench. That trench is the deepest water on all the planet. 
In fact, it's 30,000 feet deep. And to give you some understanding of how deep that is, you could take Mount Everest and drop it in the Marianas Trench and there would still be a thousand feet of water over its peak. You could gather all the water of the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Indian, and the Arctic Ocean. You could, you could gather it all together. You could take all the seas and all the gulfs, all the lakes, all the rivers and streams, and God, speaking anthropomorphically, it would be as if God held it all right there in the hollow of his hand. That's how great our God is. When we sing praise to this God, that's who we sing praise to. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, this, this should affect you and me personally. Because when I bring my troubles and I bring my questions and I bring my issues and I bring my hurts and my pains and my fears and my concerns, that's the God that I bring them to. He says, Isaiah in the very next breath says, who has marked off the heavens with the span? That word span means the measurement between your thumb and your pinky finger, that's a span. That's a span. And Isaiah tells us that for God, he measures the heavens. He measures the skies. And they fit within the span of his hand. That's the God that we sing unto. That's the God that we say, you, O Lord, are worthy of all worship. I referenced Ray Ortland earlier. Let me just quote Ortland in a couple of lines. He does a great job of getting a handle on this. He writes, when God created everything, he needed nothing. All the ideas, all the genius were his alone. God imagined every tropical fish. He established every function of gravity. He shaped galaxies in irregular, spiral, and elliptical. He came up with it all by himself alone, out of his own superintelligence. In Babylonian religion, the creator god Marduk had to consult with A, the all-wise. The pagan gods worked by committee. But Yahweh, God the creator, needs no one else including you and me, <laughs> including you and me. Now listen, sometimes in our hurts and in our pains, we want, to, we want to become advisors to the Lord, but the Lord will have none of it. He, um, he is God, and He is true, and He is real, even when we don't understand Him. A, a, a couple of... Um, Subpoints to this. Let me, let me just say this. First of all, um, this God that Isaiah writes about and that Paul picks up on in Romans 11 in this doxology, um, let's confess and acknowledge we don't know what he knows because God knows everything. We will never know 
everything that God knows. When, if you are a believer and you, we, we spend eternity in his presence with him, in the all-consuming light of the Lord himself, we will never know everything that he knows. Why? Because he is God. He always has been. He always will be. And we are not God. We never have been and we never will be. For his knowledge and his understanding and his glory is inexhaustible. The second sub-point to this is that we are not in a position to give him advice. That, that, that almost goes without saying. But I said it anyway. We are not in a position to give this all-knowing God advice. He doesn't seek it. He doesn't need it. For he knows everything. Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and look at the, the, third, the third aspect of this, this praise to the Lord. And that is this, that God is the point of the universe. And therefore, he is the point of your life and my life. He is the point of the universe. And he is the point of your life and my life. Verse 36, for from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. One of the things we, we say at Kaioki is that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Um, God is the center point of life. He is the meaning of life. He is the one that we are to live for. He is the one we are to look to. He is the one we are to die in. He is the point. He is the point. A.W. Tozier writes about, has written about the fact that how we live in an age where man has made God anything but the point the purpose of life. And that, in essence, man has replaced God as in his own mind and through his own efforts as the centerpiece of life. And perhaps most tellingly, Tozer goes on to say that that is true even in the church. That the church is... My word, not Tozer's, is so cocky uh, that they believe that they will make themselves, never admitting it, but man, even Christians will make themselves the, uh, the end result and the end goal of worship. Instead of falling on our knees before the Lord and crying out, Woe is me, for I am an unclean man, and my eyes have beheld God. We think, what's the big deal? We're the big deal. Tozer wrote those words over a half century ago. May it never be. That's why at, at Kaioki we 
every week we remind ourselves that we are here to declare the greatness of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. We don't, that's not in Scripture just to be some kind of fancy Greek lesson. It is in Scripture because it is to be true. It is the heart of what Paul means when he says, For from God and through God and to God are all things. And so, if God is not the beginning and the end, if God is not the center of what we do, the focus of what we do, then we have lost why we're here. If God, listen, if God is not the center of your job, if God is not the center of the way you raise your children, if God is not the center of the way you provide for your family or you look for a mate, if God is not at the center of who you sleep with, if God is not at the center of what you look at when you go online and the, and the, and the way you Google and what you Google, if God is not at the center of what you drive and where you live, if God is not at the center of how you spend your money, then you are missing what God has for, has for you. Don't miss what God has for you. Don't miss. For He is worthy. He is worthy. Okay, I, I mentioned at the outset that I wanted to close with some applications and in um, all due diligence, I, I, these are from Tim Keller's commentary on these couple of verses. And I, they, were, they, they spoke to me that I just wanted to share them with you. So uh, these are almost going to be word from word uh, from, from Keller. So let me just give them to you. He writes... What we learn and how we can live this is recognize that there should be no worship without truth. There should be no worship without truth. Secondly, there should be no teaching without worship. See how these things go together? You know, the, the outplay, the outplay of um, our worship is to be based on the truth of who God is. And the reason churches have gone astray and have basically supplanted God-focused worship with more, let, let's do whatever makes us feel good, is because they've, they've gotten off the foundation of truth. And his second point is that any biblical teaching should involve, should lead us to, to the desire to worship God. If it's just cold, stone, hard facts that we're pouring into our minds with no outplay of an effect on our lives and which begins in our souls and their desire to take what we've learned to worship him. That's what's happened at the end of Romans 11. That's what Paul is doing. Third application is this. Doctrines that exalt God lead ultimately to the greatest joy. 
Doctrines that exalt God lead to the greatest joy. You know why? You know why? Because he is the center. He is to be the center of all things. And when that gets skewed, then my life gets skewed. And uh, my joy gets capped at the, at, at, at the knees. I'm trying to find and, 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 and seek joy in something that I was never intended to if he is not the center of my life. Finally, we do not need to understand everything. <laughs> this is so good. We do not need to understand everything to praise the God who does. Amen. Amen. You don't have to know everything. You'll never know everything about God. But you can praise him. You can praise him. You can put him as the center of your thoughts and your desires and what you live for and how you live with others and how you love others. He is a great God and he is worthy of everything we can bring to him, everything we have to offer. And when he is at the center of everything, we have found our heart's joy and desire. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we don't pray to emptiness. We pray to a living, creator, almighty, sovereign God. And Lord, I pray for all those that are with me now and are watching and listening, that Lord, for all of us, our lives will never be the same as the result of of you being at the center of those lives. God, may we worship you as we live for you, as we die for you. We praise you. And we praise you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, stay with us as we, as we close this online service out in worship through song. It's always great to have you with us. Um, look forward to being with you next time. May this amazing God bless you. Thank you.